to Startup in Estonia, the podcast where we discuss different pillars of a successful startup ecosystem by showcasing examples from Estonia. In this season, we take a deeper dive into verticals of startups, such as educational technology, AI and machine learning, cybersecurity, financial technologies, talent HR, and more. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. And for more information about the startup ecosystem in Estonia, visit startupestonia.ee. Without further ado, it's time to dive into today's episode. Here's your host, Jiao Ray. This is season two of the Startup in Estonia podcast. My name is Ron Ray, and I'll be talking to members of the startup community here in Estonia to find out what they're doing and why they have decided to do it in Estonia. Last season, we were mainly focusing on the startup visa program and the advantages of starting your company in Estonia. This time, we will be doing each episode on a specific topic. We're going to cover everything from fintech, AI and machine learning, to educational technology and cybersecurity. Happy listening! Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Startup in Estonia podcast. This time we're going to be talking about cybersecurity. Now, cybersecurity is a hot topic, has been uh, coming up in the scene in the last few years. Uh, on today's episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about what's what's happening in cybersecurity in Estonia. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, personal identity theft. Uh, we're going to cover something connected with uh, corporate espionage or corporate uh, data leaks. And then we're going to try to uh, talk about also state actors moving into cyber warfare. Uh, for today's episode, I'm very lucky to have with me uh, Ralph Enchemedia, who's uh, leading a company called Seguro. Uh, he's going to talk to us a little bit about his background. And we also have Medely Hendrickson, who's uh, going to talk to us about what Startup Estonia is doing in that field. Uh, so guys, why don't you give me a little bit about your background? Marily? I have been in startup landscape for almost two years now. Prior to that, uh, I actually wasn't in the cybersecurity domain uh, itself. So my educational background uh, is uh, uh, educational sciences. And um, I have been... Um, active in the educational science, uh, educational sector uh, since the university. So during this last seven years, I was uh, uh, coordinating um, uh, IT programs uh, for Estonia. Um, the aim was to uh, get additional resources for the ICT higher education so that their quality would be higher and uh, uh, it would be uh, more competitive at the international level. So, and from there, I kind of picked up the uh, cybersecurity interests because um, uh, I had, I was, uh, I was uh, uh, organizing also one cybersecurity competition, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, was very interesting. The topics and the impact that it uh, it created was um, truly. Uh, interesting to me. When was this? That was in 2015. Okay. Yep. So this was your first entry into the cybersecurity world? Yes, the hands-on approach in in that sense. Yeah, and now you're coordinating the cybersecurity projects within Startup Estonia? Yes. Okay, and what does that entail? Is it uh, talking to startups that are doing cybersecurity or... 
Yep. So the, the broad aim is to uh, to grow and support the startup cybersecurity startup ecosystem development in Estonia, so that it would be their growth would be more uh, smoother. Um, uh, and the, the end aim is that we would have more uh, strong startups uh, who are active in Estonia. Mm-hmm. The, the reason for Estonian state to uh, support this activity is that uh, as Estonia is living in a digital society, one of the most advanced uh, on a global level, then uh, this is also one of our uh, strongest uh, weaknesses, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And we, we want to be well ahead and prepared for any anything that uh, that can be happening. So thinking ahead. And Ralph, what about you? Your background is a little bit uh, different. You're you're not born in Estonia. You're, you you came here, right? No, that's correct. I was born in Cuba. Okay. And um, at uh, the age of seven, I actually left with my family. We spent uh, a year in Spain, and then then Miami, and that's that's where I grew up was in Miami um, until about seven years ago when I moved to Los Angeles or now eight years ago. And then about two years ago, I moved to Tallinn. So I, I go between Tallinn and Los Angeles. So uh, and those how, those. How, how did you get started with the whole cybersecurity? Was it was it in Spain, in Miami? Or no, it was in Miami. Miami. Um, at around 14, I had a friend who uh, whose father and brother were engineering types and uh, were into ham radio. Okay. And, uh, and my first introduction to it, to technology in a way was through ham radio. Oh, I can talk to somebody halfway across the world. Um, and so that's how it started. Then a little later on, this, uh, this, it's now a magazine, uh, called the hacker quarterly. And it's, uh, this thing got in our hands in Miami and, uh, it used to be a one page, you know, two sided, uh, leaflet. And it, it talked about very specific technical things, but it was, uh, this is very pre, Internet. So um, one of those things it talked about was phone freaking, which is mm-hmm. how to hack the phone system. And so then we went from ham radio to phone freaking. And and then the, eventually it was, well, if you get a computer, now we can use these tricks to make long distance calls to BBSs or bulletin board systems. And, and it was there that I actually met other hackers or actually um, encountered the word hacker for the first time was in, in a BBS. And this is way before, you know, cyber or cybersecurity was a topic. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that the term didn't even exist. I mean, this is uh, before. So, so when did you start using or when did you start hearing the term cybersecurity? It was much later. Um, so this is somewhere around 88, 89, right, that, that I got started that way. And then it wasn't until probably closer to 98. So maybe 10 years later was the first time the term security, forget mm-hmm. cyber, mm-hmm. Um, was used. Um, and the way it happened for me was that uh, I, at the time I was working at a Miami Children's Hospital, a hospital and, and we were the first to deploy uh, a medical charting system that was electronic. And um, the, 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 the company who provided it was Motorola at the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, part of the, part of that required having to go through training with them and all this kind of stuff. Right. So one of the, I primarily work with nurses and doctors, not really with it people because that was my user base was nurses and doctors. And, uh, and there was no such thing as first of all, the firewall didn't exist yet. Yeah. So, um, a lot of open the, systems. Yeah, the internet was starting to happen, but it was still a, a very young uh, thing. So 
the way this, the word security actually happened for me the first time was because, uh, you know, I was always, you know, making things do what they're not intended to do. And one of those things that came up with, with the doctors and nurses that I realized was a big problem or could be a big problem is if you can change somebody's medical record after they've been discharged. Obviously, while somebody's in the hospital, the record gets modified. But after they've been discharged, that's a big no-no because obviously, and especially in the U.S. with things like malpractice lawsuits. Mm -hmm. um, so that was one of the main things about the system was that could never happen. And, and, and Motorola claimed that that was impossible, that you could not change a medical record after discharge. And, uh, and so I came along saying, well, I can. You're like, challenge accepted. Yeah, I was like, I can change a medical record after the discharge. And they were like, no, that's not possible. And then I showed them how I did it. And then they were like... Well, you're now the security officer, <laughs> and that's actually the the term that they gave me. Up until that point, you know, it was all IT. They didn't have a bounty system back then, right? No, no they didn't they have anything like that. No, in fact, it took uh, about a month because uh, the way it typically should work, you know, works is that if you find a flaw of vulnerability in a system like that, and you're able to exploit the vulnerability. You only turn. You only tell the the you know manufacturer the vulnerability. You don't give them the exploit. They have to they have to find out for themselves. So it took like a month of working with Motorola engineers for them to actually figure out the exploit. And um, and so that's how the process started. And that's how I went from uh, the the title was point of care system administrator to security officer. And I thought that was funny because I didn't get a uniform or a gun or anything like that. <laughs> but um, not like the movies. No. Um, so it's actually, it's actually interesting because, you know, at that point, that hospital was going on the road to digitizing yeah. their procedures and the medical records and everything, which if you compare to, you know, what, what's happening in Estonia and the whole society, right? Exactly. The, the point of interest of cybersecurity for the country is also connected with the digitization that's happening throughout society. And I think this is how, you know, back then, we're, we're talking 90s. Uh, yeah. You know, this was kind of this, the first steps, you know, some systems were getting there, but nowadays digital is touching us all. A lot of our information, a lot of our records are, are in digital formats and perhaps more than we can uh, figure out. Like I was having a conversation the other day, how many databases do you think you're on? You know, how many yeah. databases do you think you have information about yourself on? And it, it gets pretty crazy to, to think about these things because how secure are they? You yeah, know, and yeah. I think it was, you know, every week you hear about a leak, Facebook just lately, something with their Amazon uh, servers, there's a leak every week. So, you know, on, on the one hand, how safe do we feel and how much are we willing to, uh, to put an effort to protect our, our identity? And, and I think for Estonia, this is even more an, an important case because, you know, you have the elections going online, you have all your medical records. So, so how, how do Estonian citizens think about this sort of identity, uh, identity protection? Well, I think that the, that, the, that the concept of being secure in cyber domain, it, uh, it grows uh, in time as we use the digital uh, services. Uh, the awareness is always a problem and it can, uh, can always be higher. So, uh, but I think that the, at the moment in Estonia, we are in a lucky position because, uh, because uh, we are a small society. Uh, we have more than 
12 years of uh, um, experience using uh, digital ID cards. Um, and so we are uh, kind of... Uh, uh, using all the devices and the concepts are familiar to us, but uh, I, I see that, that that the next steps should be also hiring also the the general awareness uh, how to use why to use because in cyber uh, cyber domain uh, the weakest link in the system uh, gets hit. Mm -hmm. That means that that when we think about uh, awareness raising, everyone needs to be more aware. And actually, this is also good for the society because because um, it is the um, the understanding how technology functions. And in essence, that is that is very uh, very vital and good because in case you understand how the technology mm -hmm. functions, you can. Uh, build some of the functionalities yourself, which also supports our uh, startup mindset Definitely. and approach. So we can develop a beep developers ourselves. But I, I think in terms of the perception, right? Uh, in the case of your hospital, it, it took... It took you to prove that, yeah, well, I can change the medical records. And I think for a, lot of, for a lot of people, the perception also comes if something happens to their data, right? If something gets exposed and they're like, oh, I need to be a little bit more careful mm -hmm. about, you know, what, what information about me is out there. Um, so besides that, you know, besides having a, a sort of a crisis moment, mm -hmm. is there anything else uh, regarding identity theft that we can do to, I don't know, get people to be more aware of it or... Or we just have to wait until there's a big leak and then people start getting worried. Well, it's, it's you know, I think, uh, you know, as I often say, is you have to assume you've already been hacked. Your data is already hacked. Your data is already out there. And so the, the question really becomes a matter of how do you reduce the risk and impact to your life? Because it's going to happen. So it's just a matter of determining how to reduce risk. And a lot of that does have to be does have to do with, as Marilyn was saying, Awareness, because a lot of it has to do with how you move, how you operate. Um, and we change the way we operate. It's very hard to change, mm -hmm. right? But once the change happens, once we adopt something uh, like technology, then it's, it's, it's very quick to, to stick to it. I mean, I've had, I've had people look at an atlas and say, look, they printed out Google Maps. <laughs> when you forget wow. that, you know, maps existed before Google Maps existed. And that's not a printout of Google Maps. It's a map. But that's how much we adopt, you know, technology. And then we forget about how it was before. I, I think when it comes to perception, I mean, everyone is saying that, like, I don't care. What will they do with my information? I'm I'm a nobody. Like, you know, they're going after the, you know, the Bill Gates, the Bill Gates and the, the Mark Zuckerbergs. And uh, obviously Jeff Bezos, who now had a, this whole thing about his data being leaked and, and used uh, to, to publish uh, articles about, about him. But um, but on the other hand, if you look at the, the recent Apple keynotes, uh, people are standing up and applauding whenever Apple says something that, you know, your data is private, only kept in the phone, nothing gets sent to the cloud. So there is a little bit more awareness about this issues related with, with your data and, and the data you generate and where it ends up. So I think there is a little bit more of a awareness. Uh, generally. Well, there's, there's definitely been a backlash on technology as a result of all these leaks. And, and this, it's, uh, this is nothing new. As long as I've been in, in technology in general, there has been hacks. And that, you know, the, the, the only difference is now it's, it's, you know, heavily covered by the news. And uh, as a result of that, then people are aware. Um, but they are they just don't exactly understand why they feel the way they feel. They feel mm -hmm. violated, mm -hmm. 
but they don't exactly know how they've been violated. And, and they might not even understand the consequences of their data being leaked. And that's primarily the issue of why don't they, they don't understand it. Like you said, there's those people who say, well, I, I've got nothing to hide. Why would I care? Um, and, and there's even something to be said for that argument. And that in fact, that's one of the reasons that Estonia is, is interesting because there's a level of transparency here that mm. makes the makes the data also less valuable. Right. Right. If everybody has the data, then then the it data has matter. no value. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, we value data because it is secret. Right. Um, and and it's a matter of uh, like like you were saying about people saying, well, I, they're not targeting me. And here's here's the big differentiation between cybercrime and cybersecurity as a service. Um, in cybersecurity, I still have to sell you on the value of my service. I have to actually attempt and try to make you understand the value of my app or my consulting services or whatever it is. In cybercrime, there's no need to sell anybody. We just just go out there, do the hacks. Get, get the data. Doesn't matter who you are. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether you're important, mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos or not, because you're gonna they're gonna sit on that data until they figure out how to monetize it. And that monetize, you know, that way to monetize that data, you know, the motive is now always financial. Mm-hmm. And the, the irony of it is that it's financial on both sides. It's financial on the crime side. It's financial on the professional side. There is no other motive anymore. Right. Um, so it's it's an issue of. Uh, you're not going to know until it actually impacts you. And you may be a nobody and you may have nothing, but you might find out years later when somebody uses your information to uh, transact in ways that we still have yet to, to experience. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's, it's this, you have to think of it this way is that, you know, this is a very personal matter. And when we tend to think that, you know, there's a global uh, agreement on what that means. No, personal, mm-hmm. my definition means that what it means to me is different than what exactly. it means to you. So, um, you know, I had the same argument from somebody recently at an event. So, well, I don't really care about any of that stuff. The only thing I care about is my grandchildren. <laughs> I said, great. Well, what if it was your grandchildren I went after? Mm-hmm. Right. Then all of a sudden you care. So see, it's just a very specific, uh, you know, issue. Uh, but everybody cares about something. And the truth is, is we live, uh, you know, there's no requirement to put on glasses and call it virtual reality. We live in virtual reality. It's around. It, it is literally, um, it's, a, it's an oxymoron, but it's true because we don't have a reality without the virtual anymore. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist. We can't, if we can't, if we didn't have the, you know, digital identity, and if I had all of the factors of your digital identity, how are you going to prove you're you? Mm-hmm. Everything that we now use to prove our existence relies in a database. You are listening to the Startup in Estonia podcast. We're going to get back to the episode shortly. To learn more about the startup ecosystem in Estonia, visit startupestonia.ee, where you can find more information about Estonian startup visa, visit our blog, check out startup events in Estonia, and more. For up-to-date startup news, also follow Startup Estonia in Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And now, let's get back to the show. So do you think that means that, you know, for, for, uh, for the digital identity, <clears throat> and I think as we go, as we go forward, it becomes even more important to be able to prove that you are who you are when you're, you know, conversing with someone or transacting with someone uh, in, in, within a digital environment. Estonia has obviously done a lot of work there with, with the digital identity, but does that mean 
you're you're also more vulnerable because there is this digital identity uh, for for the citizens, or it's just a matter of like like you were saying, we have it, we we know how it works, and it adds uh, trust to the system. Mm-hmm. So currently, um, I'm sure that the Estonian ID card system, um, together with our X-Road uh, system, which basically is the system where how databases exchange uh, data, um, is secure and it creates a great value because uh, we have a governmental system uh, which uh, says that uh, yes you are you in case the digital devices uh, also uh, prove it in a sense so um, the uh, the weakness that we we see in the future within the system is that uh, when the quant computers come mm-hmm. then uh, then the crypto is breakable mm-hmm. and that's for there are sciences working already today that in case there the they will be a commodity, the quant computers, there, then, then we have some uh, additional backup systems. But otherwise, uh, uh, this is a strength of Estonia at the moment. Um, not too many countries have similar uh, systems. Some countries don't even, don't even, even have a digital uh, identity system at all, right? So they don't have this sort of uh, ID cards. Yeah, or the, uh, and, and one of the key concepts which isn't digital is that in Estonia, uh, we have uh, 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 ID codes for every person. Mm-hmm. It isn't the same uh, in in every country. Mm-hmm. There, there in in the states there is the social code, right? Yeah, social uh, security number. Yeah, yeah, which kind of should be secret, but actually you have to insert it into, into everything. everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. and and whenever it gets leaked, then person uh, the, anyone can say that I'm you. Yeah. But uh, in a Estonian case where there's the um, identity card, which uh, with it. Uh, it's crypto then it isn't the case mm-hmm. anyone and can't say that I'm you yeah because the number is anyway available but yep. uh, but then uh, you know in some countries they don't have that in other mm-hmm. countries the, the banks are taking some sort of role in terms of digital identity mm-hmm. here in Estonia you know the state is doing that and I think mm-hmm. by comparison with other countries that do have uh, ID cards with a chip they just don't use it. They don't use it as much as Estonia. So I think the difference is that in Estonia, they've been using it and the citizens have been using it and they've been uh, comfortable with it. So, you know, they know how it works. They sign documents. So in that sense, it is kind of a, a good place to to try out uh, some mm-hmm. of these things. So in terms of identity, is there something happening within the Estonian startup scene? Uh, companies, you know, working within uh, protecting identity, something that, uh, I don't know, maybe the state is doing? I mean, I'll tell you, I think it's, <clears throat> I think it's, um, I have never been to uh, an event where a country has a booth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember going to speak at this event in, in Amsterdam called Money 2020, which is a financial tech conference. And right dab in the middle was Estonia. And uh, the interesting thing is, yes, you have a lot of technology companies that are working on, you know, uh, electronic identity type of products. Um but none has an entire country running on it mm-hmm. other than the actual mm-hmm. country here. So it's, it's an interesting, um, you know, it's an interesting s- situation to, to, to be in uh, because you are basically setting the standard for what I think a lot of the world is looking at, at Estonia and saying, um, how are they doing that? Even, even there's certain basic things that, uh, would be found uh, culturally uh, so abnormal in places like the U.S., which everybody thinks is the ad, you know the advanced country. And by comparison, when I go back to L.A. from 
talent. I'm like, we're 20 years behind over here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a little story, a funny story about that. I'm just like, uh, I have a daughter who's a musician and, and she spent last summer here and we went to a heavy metal show in the middle of nowhere, Estonia. Right. And, uh, while out there, I only took 200 euro I and mean, it was a three day camp out type of thing. There's no ATMs anywhere. Uh, by the second day I've got no money and I'm like, okay, you know, I gotta go drive who knows how far to go find an ATM. And she goes, no, no, my friend, so-and-so he's got 50 bucks on him. He's got 50 euro. Go talk to him. So I go talk to him and he says, oh, okay, well, yeah, I've got 50, you know, what's your bank account number? And we just transacted right there from our local bank mm-hmm. accounts and gave him 50 bucks and he gave me the 50 bucks. That is unheard of yeah. in the United States. Yeah. If somebody yeah. would ask you, yeah. what's your bank account number? Your immediate yeah. response is, yeah. 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 why would you want that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so there's a level of transparency in, in the way things are done that, again, it, it reduces risk in many ways because it, it has an element of physical and it has an element of of, of digital. Because to do that transaction, I not only had to have the my my ID in a way to be able to log into the bank. Um, but then once I logged in to transact, I now had to have another pin mm-hmm. code. So it's not something that's very easy that you have both of those things, mm-hmm. even if somebody physically, which is the bigger problem in, in most of the world, if somebody physically has your card, that's all that's, they need. That's it, yeah. But in this case, you can't really do anything without the code, the other codes to, to transact. I think here, you know, with the banks, with the financial sectors, they also came up on board with the whole uh, digital identity. So I think this is also kind of a good a good touch point where you know the the state provides the the framework you know the x road and and the digital identity and then the private sector so corporates start using it and then you know adding trust to the system and and you know more actors coming on on board but i i wanted to now talk a little bit about the the sort of the corporate sector right mm-hmm. so we we talked about um, uh, identity theft for the individual and what how how that relates to us but for for corporates for corporations um, what are some of the threats out there today or some of the trends in in terms of cybersecurity for uh, for companies is it related with uh, with data leaks is it related with uh, i don't know corporate espionage what's 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 happening it's well, related to both yeah both exist and both have existed <laughs> um corporate espionage is one that for the most part people think it's like in the movies only but no mm-hmm. it's existed for as long as uh, as computers have existed. In fact, uh, you know, the most commonly known type of, of corporate espionage um, has actually been on a, on, on a uh, state-sponsored level, you know, uh, which has been with China. That's mm-hmm. been the big thing is, you know, Chinese have been hacking everything. And this is a very big cultural... The little chip that... Uh that got into servers? Uh, not Yes, not only that, but you've seen the results of it by, you know, the Chinese had a jet that looks exactly like a U.S. jet mm-hmm. um, to down to the T of the design because they stole the designs. But the interesting thing is that this is a, a, a cultural issue because um, they're, they're not necessarily even going to say, no, we didn't do it. They're like... That's, that's the way it works in our culture. Yeah, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So... Uh, and then, of course, that that moves into the, the you know there are literally legal entities. There's a the Society of Competitive Intelligence Professionals. That's a legal entity where legally you can find out. There's means and ways to find out what your competitor is doing, and that is legal to do because competition is. Mm-hmm 
legal and healthy. So that's always happened. Um, but then on the flip side of that, then you have, you know, more of the, we now have to worry more about state sponsored, uh, cyber crime that has to do with, you know, more of the intelligence gathering than just, um, a matter of what products are being built. But I'm thinking more in terms of, you know, more and more companies are uh, are relying on the cloud. Let's say you know they're putting their information about their processes, their their clients. Uh, you know, imp- important information that they just start storing outside of their control. So that you mm-hmm. know, well, I mean, relying on others to store you know, that we information. J- we joke around and say, you know, the cloud is just somebody else's computer. Yeah, basically. No, right? yeah. But the, the the thing is, that's not necessarily a bad thing because when it was your computer, you didn't have the resources to lock right. it down. At least when it's on the cloud, you have Amazon resources. For, which, which you rely on, hopefully, and they, they are going to Yeah, they've got more money job. than most corp yeah. companies do for yeah. cybersecurity. So those layers of cybersecurity are probably more locked down. But, you know, hackers go after low-hanging fruit. And the lowest-hanging fruit is, is the people. The people. And uh, so I, why would I go and try to hack Gmail when I can just hack you? Mm-hmm. And then I've got your Gmail. It's a lot easier to go after you than it is to go after the entire server of Gmail. Um, and that's that's really still the, the, the weakest link. I mean, we the, talk the about login, corporate. Login and password is still the place where uh, where everything fails. Yeah. And it's it's so easy to get to ask someone for their password. If you know how to do it, they're going to give it to you because you can fool them into thinking you are Google. You are, uh, you know, tech support. Um, so it's a lot easier to do that than it is to do the other way. And goes back to what Marilyn was saying about awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times mm-hmm. they've never even seen mm-hmm. uh, what a phishing attack looks like or, um, you know, or just what a hack looks like. When you actually show people, then then it really hits home when they actually get to see it. They hear about it, but they don't get to see it. And so they don't really know how to process the impact uh, on their on their life. But it's, uh, you know, this will continue to go on because there's there's really no there's no such thing as 100% security as, as yeah. you know, but the whole thing is on a personal level as we, we need to become better communicators, which is really the key here is, uh, for, for being in the world of communications, most of the people in the communications sector that be technology are the worst communicators at mm. getting other people to understand. It's sort of like listening to lawyers talk or listening to, to doctors talk. It's a whole different mm. language. So that language doesn't work with, with consumers. And we tend to forget that we're consumers first. There is mm. no company and there is no government without There's people, the people working for a company. Yeah. So we need to address the people problem uh, because corporate and government, they have budgets and they spend money on security. And no matter how much they spend on security, it'll never be enough because the truth is whether it's money whether it's resources all it takes is one One. little screw up by one person Uh, whether that be a configuration error on a server or whether that be an email they clicked on it's that simple so you can never reduce it to to nothing but i think the more uh as Mal was saying the more aware we make people of it the better it's going to be and um and estonia is in a very unique position there's a very interesting history specifically within cyber mm-hmm. um and specifically within with with being resilient to attack um which is a very important word not to you're, you're you know, referencing the uh the cyber warfare attack from uh from russia yeah, in 2007 yeah, yeah. yeah so i mean that's that's 
that's a very key element because it's more about how do we operate if things don't work? Yeah. And, uh, and then more so importantly, is how, do we, yeah, how do we make things work even when they don't work? But that was also a wake up call for, for Estonia, right? That was also a wake up call that, you know what, if this happens, then, you know, basic like elementary infrastructure needs to be kept up and we need to be able to lock down in a way the access to, to the country or the, so that the services can operate normally. So uh, banks, mm -hmm. hospitals, uh, government, uh, government uh, um, even, you know, networks, uh, those things need to be kept up. And I think that the wake up call came from that, but now there's initiatives in terms of, you know, even moving a copy of all your databases into a sort of Foreign database embassy, embassy kind mm -hmm. of in, in Luxembourg, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Right. So mm -hmm. if, if something happens here, then at least you have a backup and things can keep running smoothly. Uh, so, so tell us a little bit about the, the thought process for, for Estonia and, and kind of trying to, to realize that this is a threat and, uh, and how to deal with it. Well, luckily, uh, the Estonian CERT was established a year before 2007. So there was an entity who, uh, whose aim was to support in case of something bad would happen in digital uh, world. Uh, and um, because of our historical background and our, um, the, the way our uh, society functions, uh, then um, when the uh, 2007 attack happened, then uh, when when the CERT announced that now we have trouble in the house, then all the vital entities, the, the banks and, uh, and telcos put their heads together and came out from their comfort zone and mm. from their homes so that they, they could uh, actually participate and protect. So um, the situation back then was that actually nobody understood what was hitting them. Mm -hmm. That was the first time globally. Mm -hmm. So, but the, what it gave to, to the participants was the understanding and the experience that, oops, this can also happen. And because um, uh, the technicians basically had to present what has, what is going on to the, um, to the very high level political uh, personnel, then the, then the, personnel at the ministries like the Ministry of Defense also got the experience that mm -hmm. oops we don't have any process in place how if we are going to again. Yep. Yeah. and this ball got somehow rolling um, uh, and and today there are still the same persons who got the experience are today um, developing their own company in the in the landscape how to uh, organize tabletop exercises uh, for the military personnel mm -hmm. for the governments mm -hmm. and uh, and, uh, and I think this is a good intersection of, you know, like obviously military, but also the government and the private sector who absolutely. need to kind of coordinate these things. And I think a few years after that, the uh, NATO, the NATO uh, cybersecurity uh, center headquarters was established. Yeah. One year after yeah. that. And the talent papers, which are pretty much the, you know, sort of the guideline for how government should, should look at cyber defense and cyber offense on both sides. But, um, so yeah, Ralph, just to, just to bring it back to, 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 you know, what you're doing with, with Siguro, why did you decide to, to do the company here in Estonia? And uh, what was your thought process at the time? Well, I think it's, it was, uh, first of all, I think everything happens for a reason and, uh, organically it, it sort of, uh, I, I didn't really spend that much time in Europe in general. Most of my, my work was in Hollywood at the time. And, uh, I actually ended up kind of stumbling on Estonia, um, by chance. I, I came to attend slush, which I had never heard of and, uh, just ended up there again by chance. And then, uh, ended up coming here for the weekend and, uh, 
And it, I literally fell in love with Talon from the first time I walked into Old Town. And I'm sure a lot of people, foreigners do. But uh, my f- f- that was just the first impression, right? Um, but then uh, the more I found out about Estonia and its history and its people and, uh, you know, its, its culture and so on and so forth, just what historically had been through, uh, the more that it that it interested me right and uh and then the more i got into you know the way they were sort of um incentivizing startups to come here uh then it made more and more sense um so there was a few different factors you know one was that there were resources here like the universities and the, and and there was a mindset that's been built over the years in, in the in the area of engineering that also had created a culture with the right kind of mindset to build things um uh, second, I wanted to build something very new in a very old place. I thought that was kind of cool to walk mm-hmm. walk on stones that are hundreds of years old, but at the same time be creating technology that's that's in the future. Um, and then, you know, between all these different elements, I found those things. And over a period of time, uh, I came here the first time for a few days, then came back for a few weeks. Uh, and then by April, two years ago now it's been, um, then we had set up shop and started operations on, on building this. It took us you know, two years and over 2 million euro to build before we ever put anything out. And so, and how's it going these days? It's going good. We do, we released our first version in, de- in December and in May we'll be turning up subscriptions. So, um, so just tell us a little bit about the, the product or the, the service. Well, the concept was, you know, block bad things from your phone. There's a lot of things happening on your phone. And especially when we started the project and the concept of the project was, you know, this is actually technology that has existed for many years in corporate and government. And it's uh, better known as intrusion prevention systems or intrusion detection systems, IDS, IPS, uh, network IDS, IPS. Um, but it's never been implemented to a device like mm-hmm. a phone, you know, it's a sort of thing that you needed a separate thing in Iraq at the data center to do. Um, and so our concept was, well, what if we take this down to a consumer level and, and apply it, you know, an alarm system, right? Um, an alarm system that will actually lock the door if it sees that something's wrong. And, um, and so we started going down that path and, uh, the, the technology aspect of it, it's a lot of infrastructure behind the scenes, but, uh, the, the hardest thing was to, how do you take something this complex and make it easy enough for a grandmother to understand, um, and put it on a, on a mobile device. So that's what it is. It's, um, you know, we call it safeware because the hardest thing was also, you know, you've got all this malware and you've got all these diff- different terms that people know, but they don't really know, especially at a consumer level, they don't really know anything outside of antivirus, mm-hmm. you know, and I always use my mother as the the springboard for, for any of this stuff is, you know, if I ask her, what does she know? Will she understand it? And, yeah. uh, and which, that's, which that's, is funny because it, it connects us back to the original topic we started, which is about awareness, right? And how do you raise awareness about this topic to people who normally are not connected with it? And I think, uh, you know, in, on the one hand, of course, if you test it with, uh, you know, your mother or, or someone who's a little bit less connected with technology, it's easier. But maybe one of the advantages of doing stuff here in Estonia is that you can test some of those ideas on uh, on a country that uh, might be a little bit more open open to it. Uh, just to finish this off, uh, I know that there's a, there's a program now at the moment running with with a couple of startups uh, doing uh, cyber tech uh, in, in Tallinn, yep, right? the acceleration program. Yeah. Yes. Uh, is this something that's going to continue? Is this something that... Uh 
Yeah, so uh, Startup Vice Guys uh, opened their uh, last patch in uh, which focuses on cybersecurity, defense, and AI in a combination. Uh, at the moment, they are. Uh, planning already the second year. Okay. Uh, so the second patch sh should be also in the beginning of next year. Uh, yeah, but uh, definitely I'm hoping that uh, they will have every success that they are planning yeah. to. So guys, uh, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, I think it was a great show talking about cybersecurity on a very broad uh, theme, uh, you know, going from the individual level to the uh, corporate level and even talking about some state actor activities. And, uh, and I just want to thank you again for, for taking the time to come here and talking to us a little bit about what's happening in Estonia. And hopefully a lot of these new startups will help us uh, to keep our information safe. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Startup in Estonia podcast. We'll be back with a new episode very soon. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud so you can get every episode delivered to you directly. We'll be back in two weeks' time with a fresh dose of inspiration. See you soon.